What do you think your greatest need is? Abraham Maslow was a psychologist, and he, he developed a hierarchy of needs. Let's say today you're swimming, and you're underwater for 65 or 70 seconds, and you're struggling to get up. Is your greatest need at that point a new iPhone? Little Debbie's, which are wonderful? No. What your greatest need is air. It's oxygen. If you have not eaten in 40 days and you're not diabetic or hypoglycemic, you wouldn't have made it that long. But if you hadn't eaten in 40 days, your greatest need is not a better girlfriend or a better boyfriend. It's what? It's food. If you haven't had something to drink in three days, your greatest need is not to make the team. It's to make the water fountain, right? Absolutely. Well, I want to tell you this morning what I think our greatest need is. We'll try to show this from Scripture. It's a long-term, big-picture need, but that's grace. That's the grace of God. What you and I need in our life, ultimately, more than anything else, because everything operates from this, is God's grace. If you're taking notes, grace biblically is defined as unearned or undeserved favor. In other words, it's a kindness, a gift, a goodness that someone gives to you you haven't earned, you haven't deserved, and, and it's not owed you. And that's what God wants to give to us. We're closing out our Genesis 2 and 3 series today. And we're looking at a part of the story you don't hear about, and that's God's grace. But let's give some background help to begin with. First of all, we all sin and mess up, don't we? We, we do. We all sin and we mess up. In chapter 3, verse 7, this is kind of the turning point, really, of the Bible. Then the eyes of, excuse me, verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to eat, it was a delight to the eyes, it was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, she ate, she gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. They sinned, man, this was sin, and this changed the course of the world, and it's easy to kick Adam and Eve, but Romans 3.23, you know what it says about you? It doesn't say this about me, but about you, it does say this about me. Read that with me, for... All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Several years ago, there was a massive study of high school students. Now, I want to just say to high school students that I think this applies to everybody, and it applied to high school students when I was in high school. I don't think these figures have gone, gotten any worse probably. But, but 30,000 students anonymously were asked some questions. Listen to what they said. Uh, 64% said in the last year they had cheated on a test. I believe that. Y- y'all smile and I'll tell your parents, I promise you. 30% said they'd stolen something. That's a little bit, you know, that's not cheating on tests, not good. 83% said they had lied to their parents over the last year. I would bet that's true. Wouldn't you agree with that, parents, probably? But here was the funniest of them all. 77% said they were still better than most of the kids they knew. So not only are they dishonest, they're judgmental. Isn't that funny? And they're arrogant. But that's all of us, isn't it? That didn't stop when you got out of school. We've all sinned. But here's the second thing. Sin brings real consequences. See, a lot of times you come to church and preacher's supposed to say certain things. That's, you know, it's preacher talk. It's the Bible talk. But sin brings real life consequences. It always has. In verse 7, the eyes were open. They knew they were naked. Remember, naked doesn't just mean without clothes. They were exposed, they were shamed, they were humiliated, they were helpless. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What sin earns, we're going to look at the last part of that later, sin earns death. 
It's a death of joy. It's a death of relationships. It it's, uh, brings shame on us. It brings physical death. And if we don't get right with God, it brings eternal death. So the bottom line is every person in this room, we all sin, and sin brings bad consequences. So here's the third thing this morning where we're going to hang our hat. We desperately need the grace of God. We Listen, everybody in here desperately needs it. And here's the great news. It's available if you want it. How many of you honestly could use two to four million dollars? I, I, I told them in the first service, if you don't raise your hand, I'm calling you this afternoon for you're going to write a check for the new building because if you don't need that money, you got it laying around, right? Let me try that. How many of you need two to four million dollars? Or you would take it if someone gave it to you? Sure you would. That'd be great. Now, here's the deal. I can't tell you how to get that. I can't offer you that this morning. But long term, I can tell you that something's available to you that's greater than two million dollars. And that is the grace of God. Now, let's get some definitions straight first that I think will help when we talk about grace. Justice. What is justice? We talk a lot about social justice today. You hear that tossed around. What does that mean? Justice is a simple term. It's not easy to do, but it's, it's simple. It just means fairness. When, when justice happens, you get what you deserve. If, you're, if you commit a crime and you go to court and they sentence you to jail and that's what you had coming, that's justice. If I go to court or you go to court and you're innocent and they say you're innocent and you don't go to jail, you know what? That's justice. I like justice for you. I, I like mercy and grace. The next two things for me, probably. Mercy means you don't get what you deserve. In other words, you go to court, and you should go to jail, and the judge says, I'm going to have mercy on you, and I'm going to send you to probation. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Mercy, mercy is a good thing, but grace is an even greater thing. What grace is, is grace is you're getting something you don't deserve in a positive way. Now, this is pretty hypothetical, but this would be grace. You work somewhere, and you steal money from where you work. They don't turn you into the police. That's merciful. They don't fire you. It's kind of silly, maybe, but it's merciful. They let you keep your job. That's grace. They give you a raise. That's dumb, but that's grace, right? That's grace. See, grace is someone, in this case, it's God doing something for you above and beyond that you and I have not earned and that we don't deserve. And that's what we're going to look at. I want to put some handles on how God's grace is operating in your life today, how it has been and how it can be. But remember, you've got to reach out and embrace it for it to be activated in your life. Here's the first thing about grace. It may sound strange, but grace is God protecting us from ourselves and from danger. Again, I'll try to unpack this for you because it may sound strange at first. God, grace is God's protection. It, it's God protecting us from ourselves and danger. We're going to look at it, but in verse 8 through 11, after Adam and Eve sinned, God came through the garden. God always comes through the garden, and God held them accountable. Got, they got caught. They got held accountable. And it's easy to go, I don't like getting caught. Who does? I don't like being held accountable. Most of us don't. But ultimately, that is a form of grace. That's God intervening before we completely destroy our lives. And in verse 20 through 24, the end of the chapter, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. 
Now let us, what if he reaches out his hands and takes of the tree of life and eats and lives forever? Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. In verse 12, strong, he drove him out of the garden. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. That doesn't sound like grace. Let's chase a rabbit for a second, though. Have you ever wondered where the Garden of Eden is or was? I mean, I, even when I was not a Christian, that, I was interested. Where is the Garden of Eden? Can we sneak in there and get that fruit, the tree of life, and live forever? Where is it? Well, in chapter 2, verse 10 through 14, it tells us where it was at one time. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the, the first is Pashan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Dedalum and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the name that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the river Euphrates. Now, the topography of the earth, a lot of scholars believe when the flood of Noah happened a good while after this, that it may have greatly changed the earth. And so we may not, you know, what I'm fixing to show you on some maps may not be where it was at one time. But just to chase a rabbit for a second, I want to show you possibly where the Garden of Eden could have been. The, the Gihon and the Pishon rivers we don't know where they are. The, the Pashan River, supposedly, they have seen satellites in Saudi Arabia where an old riverbed ran and dried up two or 3,000 years before Jesus. That could have been it. This is a look at an ancient map where possibly this is where modern-day Israel is right here. Egypt's down here. And that possibly the Garden of Eden was up here. You have the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers there. Some believe, and this is a very plausible, that the Garden of Eden was down here by the Persian Gulf. Jamie, let's look at a modern uh, picture of that. This is modern-day Iraq. This is the Persian Gulf here. And some people believe the Garden of Eden may have been right in there. Just a little thought for our next mission trip moving forward. In verse 24, let's get back on subject, he drove the man out of the garden. Let's look at this. It says he drove him out of the garden. First of all, let me pause. I don't know if you ever heard this, but after Adam and Eve had children, they were telling them about the garden and how wonderful it was and said, why do we have to leave the garden? And Adam said, well, son, basically your mom and I ate, your, ate ourselves out of the garden, house and home. Moving forward, <laughs> he drove them out. Of, if you're taking notes, this is, this is very significant. That phrase drove means to thrust out. In other words, God wasn't being gentle here. God was saying, you've got to leave. And if you're not going to leave, I'm going to help you. You've got to get out of here. It says God drove them out of the garden. Is that grace? And he put a cherubim there with a flaming sword. Cherubims are angelic beings. And in the Bible... A lot of times when you hear them, it's in a protective way. Over the Ark of the Covenant, where one of the most important, significant uh, things for the Jewish people, there were cherubim made of gold that overlooked the Ark as they were protected. It says the, the tree of life is guarded by cherubim with a flaming sword. That word flaming literally means 
fiery. And it was a sword, an axe or a knife is what was used, and we would think it was a sword. I used to, I used to wonder what would happen if we found the Garden of Eden and we found the Tree of Life. So here's what I think would happen. Let's say we sent Josh and some of the youth over to youth mission trip, right? Merrick, you can go with them too. And so they, they, Josh comes back, and he has a hand missing. Josh, what happened? Well, we were poking around where we thought was Eden, and I stuck my hand in this cave, and like a fiery sword cut my wrist off. We found the tree of life. Amen? Are y'all not with me at all this morning? And you know what Josh asked me after the first service? If that ha- he, he said, if that happens, will workmen's comp buy me a hook for my hand? He literally asked me that. So that was funny at least, wasn't it? In other words, if you found the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life, which may be a hundred or a mile underwater now in the ocean, it probably wouldn't be good. But, but what's going on here? What, what was the Tree of Life? The Tree of Life is hard for us to understand. We know that the Tree of Life, the source of eternal life now, is Jesus Christ. Here's what some of the best scholars I've read said. Adam and Eve were in a bad state spiritually at this point. This may not make sense, or it may make sense, but for them to reach out and take eternal life at this point in their life would have been eternal death. You see, if you die without Jesus Christ, you die without a right relationship with God in the Old Testament by faith in God. You live forever, but it's called eternal death. And by God thrusting them out of the garden and getting them away from the tree of life till he could set them up later where they could respond to him properly, he was protecting them. And I want to tell you this morning, if you'll retrace back, if you're a little older, times in your life, God has protected you from yourself. You've lost a job, maybe. You've had a breakup with somebody that was devastating to you. You didn't want to happen. You couldn't understand why it happened or why you didn't get in that school or why things didn't work out or whatever. But you get a little bit older and you look back and you can know that was the grace of God. I had somebody after the first service come up and tell me they had been engaged years ago to someone. And that person broke up with them and it was devastating. And then now they've been married to somebody for years and have a wonderful family and say, you know what, what I thought was terrible was God's protecting me. It was his grace. I had a drug addict years ago in Texas tell me him and his girlfriend holed up in a hotel and they were doing crack cocaine and they apparently had a whole lot of it. He said, for three days, we didn't sleep, we didn't eat. All we did was get high. And he said, I knew we were going to die. He said, I was praying to God that the police would come and arrest us and we would get taken to jail. Who prays that they get arrested and goes to jail? A wise person that's very high. Honestly, that's the truth. They were arrested. They went to jail. and He's doing great now. But what he knew was God needed to protect him from himself. Young people, don't look at everything as a complete disaster when it doesn't work out the way you want it to be because part of God's Grace is protecting us from ruining our lives. Isn't that a neat thing? Let me give you a second thing here this morning. Not only only is it God protecting us, it's God lovingly covering us. It's God lovingly covering us. In verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked. Again, they were exposed, humiliated. And they sewed fig leaves. Fig leaves are common to this area. But they were so temporary. Look in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam 
and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. See, God didn't just clothe them physically. God's going to clothe them emotionally and spiritually. He's going to clothe them with his love. Literally, it says when he clothed them with skin, it's an animal skin. I don't know, maybe God to kind of get them back. Maybe it was possum. Who knows what the first tunic was. It says it was a garment. A garment literally meant a tunic. A tunic is still a cot. We had a picture of a tunic, a popular wardrobe covered from head to your knees. The word clothe there is a very interesting word. You see, a lot of times when the Bible uses the word clothe, it's not just talking about your physical clothes. It's talking about covering you. And, and the Old Testament talks about you can be clothed with shame. You can be clothed with fear. You can be clothed with terror. But see, God clothed them with love and with grace and forgiveness. And see, the Old Testament is the Old Testament unpacks part of the Jewish system of being forgiven for sins where animals were slain, the blood of animals were, was poured out to appease the wrath of God. In the New Testament, that system came to its final fruitation when Jesus Christ came and he died. And listen, all this starts here with God's covering. See, God's grace covers us if we will let it. it. It doesn't do away with consequences. It doesn't always make the pain go away immediately. But here's the neatest thing ever. You get right with Christ. You come to Christ no matter how rotten your life has been, no matter how involved in junk you have been in. And God is waiting to cover you with His forgiveness and His love and His grace. Is that not wonderful? God's, God's wanting to meet you this morning and to cover you with His blood and His love and His grace. Let me give you a third thing. It's God giving us another shot at life and a life that matters. It, it's God saying to you, you're still alive this morning and I still have plans for you if you'll wake up and receive my grace. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. The word death there, it, it means the death of joy, a death of effectiveness, the death of, of anything that's good and positive. It literally means physical death and maybe eternal death. But you know what? Here's a really cool thing. God didn't kill him right then. God didn't kill them right then. God gave them more time. We're going to see in just a second. I, you, you know, you get on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You, there's a lot of dumb things. Occasionally, you'll come across something that's pretty good. And, and I'll see this semi-regularly. It really is good. You're alive today by the grace of God. You don't have to raise your hands. But we have enough people in here that have done enough dumb stuff in your life that you are alive today by the grace of God. You know, I, I'll just look at myself. I, I look back, and I just wonder sometimes, why didn't at some point God say, that's enough. You're done. You're going to come on to heaven. That's it. But by the grace of God, I'm still alive, and so are you. But here's something that's even cooler than that. You're not just alive today. God's got you alive with a purpose, with a purpose in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3, the man called his wife's name Eve because she is the mother 
of all living. The, the name Eve is a great word. It means life. It means living. It means the mother of all living. In verse 21, God made garments for them and clothed them. Listen, you know why God did that? So they could go out and live. Here's one of the, 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 the things that grace is all about. See, a lot of times Christians, there's old saying, Christians are the only people that shoot their wounded. There's truth to that. And sometimes we will say, well, you know, that person, they're pretty bad. They can come to church. But they, you know, of course, they give their money, but they better never say anything or want to get involved again. That's not how God operates. Now, man, there's got to be repentance on my part and, and confession and getting right. But here's what God's saying to you this morning. Some of you think God's finished with you or God's through with you or maybe God doesn't have, have a plan with you. You come to God. You get right with God. God wants to pour his grace out on you. You're alive, which means God has a plan and purpose for you. Is that not wonderful? Man, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that God knows everything about you. And some of you may not be that bad, but you got issues. And sometimes the people who aren't that bad are just arrogant and judgmental. Is that worse than being a drunk? It's not as visible but it's just as bad. Amen? Amen, because that's right. And God says, you know what? I can take your alcohol. I can take your judgmental snootiness, and I can pour grace all over that too because it all stinks, and I can make you smell good again, and I've got a life and a purpose for you. Is that not wonderful? Let me give you a fourth thing here about God's grace. God's grace gives us another shot with him. Man, oh man, when God came through the garden that day, don't you know it was nervous time for Adam and Eve? Do the loincloth cover as it fits? Will God hear us if we hide? <laughs> yeah, he'll catch you. How many of you think God catches you? You think God was going through the garden going, where are they? Purely rhetorical. Where are you? We're not here, God. Uh, over there, over there. He should have made Eve take off running this way. He could have ran that way, and the snake would have tripped him. So, But, you know, I've always wondered, when, when, God, when God came through the garden and God punished him like he does, why didn't God just kill him? Start over. Round number two. Or why didn't God say, okay, I'm going to let you live, but you and I, we aren't ever talking again. You ever felt that way about somebody? <laughs> you know, sometimes human-wise, you've got to create some distance. But here's what God did to Adam and Eve. I'm punishing you, and then I'm going to cover you. I'm going to let you live. I'm going to let you have a life that can matter. And then I want you to know if you want to have a relationship with me, it ain't going to be on your terms but you can have it on my terms. Revelation 22, 2, all the way towards the end of the Bible. Through the middle of the street of the city, somebody in heaven, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12, do you get that? The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruits each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Then we go down to verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. 
And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life, that salvation, without price. Let me tell you what God says to you this morning. You may have ignored me. You may have blown me off. It it may be because you are just spiritually arrogant. It may be because you are wild and far, far away. God says, now it's time to get real. And I got a lot of grace I want to dump on you. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But nobody can keep it from you if you'll receive it. And God's saying, I want to love you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to be your best friend. By the way, I am going to be your Lord too. But I want to be your best friend. And all that's available no matter what you've done in your life, past or present, if you will come to me. Here's a great quote. I don't know who said it, but it is great. There is more grace in God's heart than there is sin in your life. I'm going to give you the Chris Craig version of that. There is 10 million times more grace in God's heart than there will ever be sin in your life. But you have got to come to God on his terms and receive it. I believe with all my heart, you haven't laughed well at my jokes today and you've hurt my feelings. But if I, if I was giving out $100 bills at this door, most of you would wait in line and come and tell me it was a great sermon and take one. But if I told you, you got to come get it, I'm not going to walk it to you. Most of you have enough sense, you'd come get it, wouldn't you? God's got something far greater than a $100 bill. He's got that unearned, undeserved mercy, grace, favor. But you got to receive it. Will you? Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, maybe you need to repent and to come back to God and let His grace just flow over you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You're ready today to give your life to Christ. If you are, pray sincerely with me. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to I want to turn from my sins. And I accept that you're God's son, Jesus, and that you died and you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, here's what I want, I want you to do. I want you to accept God's grace. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life. Or you're, you're ready to do that. We'll talk to you after church. Or you can come right now and give your life to Christ. Remember, you've got to receive it. Receive it this morning. Maybe you'd like to join our church. Listen, we'd love for you to. I really believe we're a grace place. If you're looking for a church that's going to, that's majors on legalism and being judgy, we're not it. You can find those. We're not it. We want to be a grace place. Come join us. You can join after church. You can come and join right now when we stand.
you're a Christian today, man, maybe, I don't know where you are, but maybe you're in a place you need to repent and you need God's grace freshly poured in your life. Maybe you want to come pray at the altar, pray with a minister. Maybe just where you're standing, you want to do business with God. But let's stand, and as he leads you, you respond to him.